Hello, and welcome to Manga Splaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Christopher Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading lists at mangasplaining.com. This week's my pick, and it's, well, it's a little different, I guess. It's called Blood on the Tracks by Shuzo Oshimi. It's published by Kodansha. It's translated by Daniel Komen. Production by Risa Cho and Lorena Mappa. And the U.S. editor is Daniel Joseph. It's, how do I put this? It, I guess it's a suspense story. In some ways, you could think of it as a horror story, um, psychological drama, something like that. I'm going to ask you what you thought it was. But basically, it's a, it's a story about a middle school boy and his overprotective mother and the stuff that happens that we can't quite get into too much. But anyway, you know this is manga splaining and you know this is spoilerific. So I hope you've read volumes one and two because we're going to spoil away. Okay? All right. Now, first thing up, the best way to start is to read the description from Kodansha, which is, from the creator who brought you notable works such as The Flowers of Evil, Happiness, and Inside Mari comes a new suspense drama centering on the theme of a toxic parent. Dive into this latest thriller by the master storyteller Shuzo Oshimi as he delivers his most unsettling work yet. The tale of a seemingly normal family suddenly swallowed up by the creeping horror of everyday life. Seiichi's mother loves him very much, and his days pass by with placid regularity. School, friends, even the attention of an attractive classmate, Fuki Ishii. Until one terrible summer day, all that changes. So, (laughs) I guess I'm going to ask... You know, Shizu Hoshimi is kind of interesting and notable that he has several works of his available in English. Not just Blood on the Tracks, but there's also Drifting Nut Cafe, Flowers of Evil, Happiness, Inside Mari, Shino Can't Say Your Name. There's a whole lot. I wanted to start with David and Chris. Have you read in any of Shizu Hoshimi's other works? No. Really? No. I can get into it, but No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so surprised that I had to think about my answer for a second. <laughs> like, so I have, I read several volumes of Flowers of Evil and a few chapters of Inside Mari on Crunchyroll, uh, Crunchyroll manga. And sort of like this, like they're all just like unsettling through and through. Mm. Yeah. Like I couldn't even tell you really what Flowers of Evil was about, except just like a boy being routinely debased and humiliated you know yep and it's a hard genre for me or not a hard genre rather oshimi's work is kind of tough for me because i'm not super into the line work i think some of the shots that oshimi calls are really interesting like the perspective and observation is fascinating but like the actual drawing drawing i'm not super into Mm. like it's good but not quite my bag so I never really dug super deep into his work, but I always kind of saw it from afar and was like, oh, like, that's the creepy guy. Like, he's, <laughs> he occupies this lane of creepy, sort of like sexual thrillers, psychosexual thrillers, I guess they called them in the 90s. <laughs> that sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. But so, Chris, why didn't, if you don't mind sharing, why did, how, how did you never read Flowers of Evil? I feel like it was, would have been up your alley back in the day. I'm a big fan of Inio Sano. And I really like Inyo Sano's work. And I read Girl on the Shore. And Girl Ah. on the Shore is a tough book to read. Girl on the Shore is a very tough 
book to, about a boy just getting debased. And so when Flowers of Evil came out, it was like for fans of Girl on the Shore. And I was like, nah, like, <laughs> I think Girl on the Shore is a good book. Like, I think it's actually like a really good, smart book that deals with really difficult things. Yeah. And also, I don't want to go back to that well unless someone is like, this is literally, this is, this is a 10 out of 10. And no one was saying, Unless somebody goes, you're now on a manga podcast and you have to read it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Maybe that's Chip's pick this week so we can all go read Flowers yeah. of Evil. No, it's, it takes a lot for me to will, willingly, willfully pick up a book that I know is going to bum me out. Mm. I, it's, I used to read a lot of stuff that was more challenging that way when I was younger. And as I get older, it's just... I, I was actually kind of dreading reading this one too. Really? <laughs> because I knew... I, I knew his reputation and I knew kind of what the book was about. Cause if you read, you know, solicits or things like that, like the solicitation text, you get to like the third or fourth volume and it's like, Oh, this is about somebody's overbearing mother. And you know, this, this issue, this whatever. And you're just like, Oh man, this could go so wrong. So many ways. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. read the first two volumes for today's podcast and it did. So <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I love the girl on the shore was your example because actually I was just looking at that earlier today on my shelf and I read the book on the bus to work one morning <laughs> and the whole time I was like, I'm sitting like in the back corner, like the creepiest possible place to sit and read a manga like that. Yep. And it was just a mess. Like I can never read something like that in public again. <laughs> no, you, you probably sh- probably shouldn't. Was it <laughs> no. like disturbing or sad or what was it? Made it it was way more open about, what middle schoolers get up to sexually than I was expecting. Or that most people are comfortable with. Yeah. Wow. And not even in like a titillating, like this is, you know, for the creeps kind of way. It's like, oh no, we're going to use this to like, you know, uh, exercise some bad feelings. First of all, like the, this one's for the creeps. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, there's a lot of books out there that are for the creeps and Girl on the Shore is not one of those books. Uh, oh, I know. Somebody, you. somebody sent me a link to manga the other day where they were like oh i just read this manga it reminds me of sex criminals it's about like uh, a boy who stops time and there's all sorts of sexy escapades and i like i i, <laughs> I, I, I looked at like one chapter of it and it's just it's horrible i don't even want, i don't even want to talk about it i'm like i almost like blocked my friend <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah wow yeah so that's why i guess our fan date foundation coming into oshimi yeah, it was just like I, I heard it was like along those lines, but not as accomplished. And I'm like, well, I'm good. Like, I'm sure it's good. People love it, but it's not. I'm not going to pick up a book that I know is going to bum me out unless someone is like, you know, podcasting about it. Yeah, I love that we so both got psyched out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be really blunt with you guys. I stopped reading Flowers of Evil halfway through because it made me sound comfortable, mm-hmm. and I've generally mm-hmm. avoided most of his work mm-hmm. because it's you know this 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 general trope of like the pubescent boy and a and a terrible girl get together <laughs> and it's like what but for some reason or another and i don't know exactly why i picked up blood on the tracks and the next thing i knew i was just completely engrossed in it i mean mm. it was it was horrifying in a lot of ways it was difficult to read in some ways but i thought the pacing was really interesting yeah. And the way mm-hmm. that the horror unfolds is really interesting, which is why I recommended it because I thought Chip and he might find, I guess, the storytelling interesting. So I guess I'll I'll, t- I'll push it over to Chip now. What did you think of this book? I mean, you were right. Like I've never read anything like this. 
in terms of in terms of storytelling and pacing. Like the fact that there were so many like double page spreads just of like a smiling beautiful mother or what was the one just the kid going it was just like mommy said after I want to say 10 11 pages of mm-hmm. build up after the officer asks if that happened the way she said it did like it's just so like so much space is used just for like a build up of like of just an answering a question mm-hmm. I, I found it super super fascinating like David, I mean, probably not as much as David, but I definitely bounced off the line work. Oh, only, really? only when, only when the artist attempted to do uh, black shadows. Like I thought they did mm. that very poorly, but in the lighter scenes with the, kind of the cross hatching, it it really kind of works with what they're trying to do, and and it, it becomes less obvious that they maybe don't necessarily know a lot about rendering. With those, mm. with those pages, which the major majority of this is that, like it'd be it'd be weird. Like every once in a while, I would just switch over for a few pages to so this like kind of heavy black shadows, but like mm-hmm. in a very kind of high school way. Like, oh, maybe this is how you do that. But yeah, I mean, besides the art quibbles, like yeah, I was really fascinated by this book, and there was definitely. I'm I'm glad you assigned two volumes. Because oh, at the end of volume yeah. one, I was like, well, I got to go to volume two. And frankly, at the end of volume wow. two, I really want to go to volume three. Wow. And the only reason I didn't is because I, I got no time for this. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair but enough. like, you know, I mean, you know, you said at the beginning of the show, you know, there are spoilers here. And this is probably the the one title where I would highly recommend people stop listening right now if you want to read the book. <laughs> And then come back to the podcast because from here on out, like we're going to talk about what happens in volume two, which is mommy is a creep. <laughs> mommy like, is disturbed. Whoa, the whole, yeah. the whole scene at the end of like the letter, like it's 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 so weird because everything is very slow, a lot of build up, and you know there were like obviously key moments like the cousin being pushed mm-hmm. off the cliff. Everything else was just kind of like waiting for things to kind of unravel, and then that scene was just like. It was like bang, bang, bang. It was like the girl's in his room. Mom comes home. The girl's out of the room. There's a letter. Mom forces him to like look at it with her. Like you just see everything, just like all the dominoes falling in that scene. And then when she's just like manically, just like let's let's destroy this together. Like that's when you know it's like you know pushing the kid off the cliff. Like who hasn't wanted to do that? But, yeah. <laughs> but that scene with the son, like, we must tear this up together, destroy it together. You're just like, oh, I know what's coming next, and I don't I don't want to see it, but I'm turning the page anyways. This is getting into some Game of Thrones shit. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really creepy, and I, I definitely wanted to find out what happens next, especially since, you know, the cousin didn't die, and now we've got this whole happening yeah because <laughs> so, you know and then the flashbacks of the cat like there's obviously a lot of backstory there and i don't know i mean deb you've probably read beyond i've only read this. up to volume four because that's all i could take for now really okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm super curious as to the rest of his childhood and and mm. her past and everything that might have contributed to this horrific scenario yeah i got the feeling there's stuff like that he's probably going to figure out 
was bad in the past that already happened, you know? Yeah. Oh, she killed the cat. Like, we all know I mean, she yeah. killed the cat, right? <laughs> well, look, the jury's out. <laughs> I mean, it could, she could have made him kill the cat. Oh, yeah, there you go. You, you know, you go. I didn't think <laughs> yeah. of that one. So, David, uh, given that what you came in with some baggage about Shujo Oshini, did this yeah. change your mind about him a little bit? or? I oh, know this was like full confirmation. This was sort of exactly what I expected. But well executed, I think. Like despite you know not really being into the line work, like he knows what creepy is, and you know the last twenty pages of the book more than prove that. Yeah. yeah. But also, there's something in this book storytelling wise about hands and touching that like really struck me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the moment when the son is like, you know, yeah, it's just like mommy said, and it's after she removes her hand from his back, and like he suddenly feels the distance between them or something. Uh, was the feeling I got from how it was drawn. I'm trying to flip through. Yeah, yeah. Find it now. There's always like a close-up of her hugging his back. Like there are so many little things that add up to this creepy feeling. Her sister always having that kind of like wide smile in every panel she's in until her son gets pushed off a cliff. Like it's a lot. Yeah. The rendering that Chip mentioned, it makes it made it feel even more paranoid to me to where almost every page was like a little bit anxiety inducing because like it, it feels like a horror movie or like a thriller, like an A24, you know, something. Yeah. Even though sometimes the rendering really does not look good. Like on page 68 is there's just catching. Yeah. Volume one. It's when his cousin says, you know, like, hey, your family's kind of over overprotective. And the kid's like, what does that mean? Like, it just doesn't work for me on this page. But, like, the actual angles and the faces kind of do. Like, mm. you see, like, oh, he's on the cusp of a realization. Yeah. And the eye motif also shows up on here. There's a lot, there's a lot of slow zooms on eyes. I think volume two had one at the very end where it was, like, two eyes stacked on each other that didn't turn into a mouth. One of the creepiest things I've seen in ages. <laughs> mm, the double page spreads. So, sorry, let's let's go back yeah. to what you were saying. Yeah, I agree 100%. This is an incredibly successful book. Mm-hmm. It's successful at making you feel just tense and creeped out and like a little upset about how it's how it's all going down. I honestly think he's definitely a better mangaka, which it means, you know, writing, drawing, all that kind of stuff. Then I maybe gave him credit for, in addition to all the creepy stuff that people would not stop talking about, about Flowers of Evil when it was popular, when it was coming out. <laughs> it was a shocking, shocking manga to get an anime that people also hated, but still couldn't stop watching. Was that um, one of the yeah. early CG animes, too? Yeah, it was like, yeah, probably oh, like or something. It was, it was, some of it was from live action, too. It was, but like, oh, it was rotoscoped. That was it. Because it also oh. looked very creepy. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. that's strange. <laughs> that's remember, a choice. <laughs> no, like, like all, all. No offense intended, but I remember looking at it, going, "This looks just as bad as the manga, but in a totally different way." Because I didn't <laughs> think that the manga was was very well drawn. But even now, like I, I think that like a lot of the problems you guys are pointing out, like it's not an artistic quibble. Like he really can't draw certain things at all, mm-hmm. but he can draw certain things so well the double page spreads I want to go back to like when he does like a double page spread of someone's face or like the mother smiling at him, you know, warmly, but in a way that just keeps getting creepier and creepier as the book yeah. goes on. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So good. Like such a thoughtful use of pacing to ratchet up that tension. Like you would in a horror movie 
and you kind of expect there to be a jump scare at the end of some of these things. Yeah. Like you expect there to be something like some huge thing that happens, but it's not. It actually just goes gross. Like it gets creepy instead of scary, which is scary in a different. It's. I think other than the cat, is she the only one that gets one of those double page spreads? I mean, he he, he does as well. Close to his. He does. Yeah. Okay. He he does when he finally answers the officer. Oh yeah yeah. Um, oh right 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 right. Yeah. Deb, you've asked us a lot of questions about what we think about it, but I just noticed you haven't maybe volunteered your own thoughts mm. on the first two volumes of Blood on the Tracks yet, other than to say it was a lot. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm not. I'm. I generally am not a fan of like you, like you, Chris. I'm not, a f- and like you, David. I'm not a great fan of books that make you feel crappy mm-hmm. about what's going on. You know, I mean. Like I, I can't, I couldn't even do it. Planes, trains, and automobiles, right? Where, like, <laughs> where they, where they just can't get to where they need to go. Like, it's just frustrating. Yeah. This is different in that you're like, you're watching things fall apart, but in slow motion. You're watching, you're watching things through his eyes as a young boy who, you know, formerly believed that his mother was, you know, loving and sweet and kind, mm-hmm. and seeing that illusion being just torn apart torn apart bit by bit and he's struggling to understand that he's also struggling to understand the part that nobody else no other adult can see this Mm. that his father seems oblivious his cousins seem oblivious there's this moment after she pushes off shigura and then like she's mumbling to herself that's Mm. very disturbing yeah yeah. and possibly not within a, a middle school kid's ability to understand no not at all so there's this there's this tension with his Shizoshimi's work where he, he seems to deal with boys who are on the cusp of puberty on that, on that bridge, on that threshold between being a boy and being a man. And that uncomfortable feeling of, I have puberty, I have hormones racing through me. I'm no longer innocent, but I'm no longer adult enough to understand what's happening. So I always come sometimes wonder like, do you react to this kind of work differently if you're a male reading it? Because a lot of his the female characters in his books are just evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally, a, a book that says what we're all thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, it's like it was super compelling, and I thought it was yeah. just really interesting how the story unfolded. Mm-hmm. I'm, it makes you feel it doesn't go for the easy scare, right? Mm. No. It doesn't go for the predictable scare. It's like, whoa, I didn't see that push off the cliff thing coming. Yeah. I didn't volume, volume one is almost up until the push off the cliff happens. Like it's creepy, but it's not wrong necessarily. Yeah. There's like a you know, a, a dread feeling infesting everything, but like she's not overtly bad yet. It's just, you know, the benefit of age and wisdom hopefully being like, oh no, something these are red flags popping all over the place. Yeah, it kind of mirrors. It kind of mirrors the, the kids because because the reader yeah. kind of like, "Am I projecting here? Is this as bad exactly. as it seems?" Like, yeah, which is which is a talented thing to put off. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like, oh, maybe it's like a Munchausen syndrome thing. I was trying to sort of figure out oh. where it was going with the abuse angle because the abuse was mm-hmm. obvious, but the nature of the abuse was not. Mm-hmm. And I think most people at this point grew up like with the idea of stranger danger, and so my mom was a social worker in the early 90s when I was a kid. So I had like the stranger danger AP class 
so oh, to wow. speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, she would go out and see, like, all the real things that people would do to each other and their kids. Dang. And so books like this, like, I can read them kind of from a distance, but they still feel really visceral. Because, like, this is, like, exactly what I was warned against when I was a kid. Mm. Not literally exactly, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. protect yourself. Like, if anything weird feelings happen, you know, find an adult, someone you can trust. And this book is just sort of about this kid being in over his head, like unable to cope with any of it. And judging by what I know of Oshimi's work, it's not going to get better for <laughs> at least like five or six volumes. <laughs> How many volumes is this total? There's 11 so far. 11? Yeah. Jeez. Volume 7 comes out on October 19th in English, but okay. volume 11 is out in Japan. If you go to the manga explaining Excel sheet, on mm-hmm. the, the, I have like a little picture there. That I kind of want you to take a look at. Uh, that's um, for that's for hosts only, not for listeners. <laughs> we may insert it into the show notes. But it so it shows volume seven, which is this picture of this close up of them, of mm-hmm. the mother and son, and then volume eight is a black and white picture of a, a schoolgirl, and then volume nine, ten, eleven is very different looking. Yeah, I guess they're in confrontation with each other almost. Like it turns blood red and more of like a collage yeah. type of thing. So it's interesting because all the covers, if you look at them in from volume one to volume seven, are just these normal, everyday, loving photos of a normal yeah. childhood, right? From mm-hmm. the baby to going to your first time going to school. And then you see him grow up. And then there's that turning point after volume seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, these these covers are gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, I love like his work generally has good design wrapped around it. I think like Flowers of Evil was so simple; the covers were just like a figure and like a word balloon or something like that with the title or something. But yeah, it changed mid. But it changed midway too. Mm, yeah, yeah. To watercolors yeah. and stuff like that. Like it's very purposeful. Yeah, that attention to detail is so cool. The covers and the the handling of the text on the English versions, like volume one and two, are not very good, mm. especially compared to what I'm seeing here with the Japanese editions. Yeah, that's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You kind of they, they kind of need a bit of a redesign for the for English instead of just straight translating the text. Mm-hmm. I think. I think licensing issues, like there are licensing issues where you've got to kind of do the exact cover and try and keep it as tight as possible. But looking at the Japanese cover, I think that they tried very hard to try and keep it as close as possible. And I think they could have gone a different direction that maybe would have been more successful because these, these covers are designed for vertical text. And I mean, obviously we don't really read that way in North America. So I think that's a big part of it. I think the font is an interesting choice compared to the japanese edition but i don't know i've been in meetings i've sat in meetings as as has david about how to address these exact issues and man you just try your best but like yeah for yeah. sure but also you look at his artwork the, the the photograph on the volume seven cover that's there of the mom and son versus the photograph of volume one he's just gotten better as an artist like yeah. he is we're watching him improve i think not quite in real time i think it's amazing you know, it's it's amazing to see where he's at as an artist just on these covers later on and how he's changed and how he's improved. But well, also there's yeah. clear there's clearly a plan where you start off with like the, the yeah. gentle photos and then you start to get a bit more distorted and adding the red and stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately that doesn't help you sell volume one. 
<laughs> like when I, when I when I look at this, I'm just like, is this like a historical drama? Maybe about these characters. I, That's oh, right. Yeah. You went in completely blind, huh? Completely blind. So I'm just like, I I, I don't know what this is. And then next thing you know, it's a psychosexual mother son, <laughs> yeah, thriller horror with murder. I will say it's not an Andrew's wheelhouse, but I, I I went to pick up volume one at the store. And he's like, what's that? And I'm like, blood on the track. He's like, oh, is it new? And I'm like, no, it's been out for three and a half, four years now. It's like this is volume one, but it's like volume seven is just about to come out. He's like, I have never seen that book. And it's been in a store. I think it's just kind of a forgettable presentation. I yeah. don't know that it necessarily mm-hmm. serves mm-hmm. the work. Also, I like to shove in as much Andrew content as possible. He's great. <laughs> and he but don't you think episode, that, that, so that, that works to create like this beautiful box that has a surprise in it? Yeah, but you got to get someone to open the box. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. Beautiful. <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that's the beauty of book design, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't love it. I don't I don't love the cover. And the what color page. The, yeah, I was going to say the color pages. In volume one, I think with the like sort of fisheye forced perspective. Yeah, it's kind of amateurish, but uh, I actually like it as like showing kind of old timey memory. Chip, what do you think? Kind of going through it again. It's I mean, it's it's poor painting. And like, there's not really a lot of color decisions happening here. So what's the point? Once again, I'm like, I'm struggling with what the point is. Hey, I remember the color page in volume two happening at a weird time. Like as I was yeah, reading, that, I was like, oh. Yeah, that was interesting. That but now, of course, I can't find up. it flipping through. Oh, there was a color page in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. When the would-be girlfriend comes to the door it's in color and that was yeah so page 130 129 sorry yeah um, and it's just a couple of pages yeah hmm. huh. it actually looks like colored line art versus being a painting yeah it's very it's very very different than the than what you would expect because it is yeah it's just graphically colored yeah though this page does bring another thing to mind about the presentation of the book mm. How would you three describe the sound effects? Page 130, there's the zig 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 sound and a sure, sure, sure. What is that supposed to represent? I have no idea. When I was reading, I was just like, what's going on? Most of the sound effects, I'm like, what is what is this? Yeah. I kind of tended to ignore them after a while. Page I just think that they're like a weird ambience thing. Page 130 of volume two. Mm. Oh, well, volume two. Sorry, I've got the wrong one open. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. So yeah, I suspect the... the one of them is like a cicada noise because yeah. that's just ever yeah. present yeah. in summertime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other, I'm not sure the, it's like shay, shay, shay. And it's sure, sure, sure. In English, maybe like wind blowing or something like that, but it's on almost every page. Like it's so frequent, yeah. well, not every page, but you know, it's in every chapter, I would say. Yeah. I think that's just the sound of cicadas. Yeah. Yeah. But the long tree might be the door opening. Z uh, no six that, that would be like G like G like yeah like a creaky door opening, but the yeah. yeah the next page like the zig 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 and the sh- sh- yeah I think it's it's got that kind of cicadas. took me out a little bit and I think that's not anything the fault of the translation team it's just a language barrier thing is that I don't have that sound in my you know database yeah <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, right, like, right if I see a kaboom like it's a fake noise but like I know what that sounds like in my head because of mm-hmm. you know years of exposure but this was 
it's very rare that I hit things like that in the manga nowadays, but this one kind of got me a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting because like that's that's some cultural differences, right? Like mm-hmm. when there's a school scene and you see cherry blossom blossom you know petals in the wind, to them that's the same as autumn leaves in America because school starts in the fall. For mm-hmm. them, school starts in March, right? So there's that some cultural signifiers and like the the cicada sound. That's every summer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've never heard a cicada since I've been in the area ever. <laughs> I barely it's hear a crickets. Trip. I mean, it yeah, I haven't heard of cricket since I left Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. So, but there were other little touches, like the word balloons that had like fake text, like when after she pushes the boy off the cliff and she's kind of mumbling to herself. The first couple of balloons are squiggles, mm-hmm. and there's one with a TV that also has squiggles. That's an effect that I like a lot. I think it's mm-hmm. like such a good use of comics as a form to say like this is unintelligible and it doesn't matter what it is, but you need to know something is here. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David, now that you mentioned it, I had actually started blocking out the sound effects because I remember when that, like the the mean one, like the mean, mean or whatever. Or the, yeah, what they, also the cicada sound, I believe. Mm-hmm. But like, they're everywhere in these first two volumes and I didn't, it didn't register like what they were. Like when she's mm-hmm. walking up the stairs here on page 136 and it's like, tum, tum, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Or a door opens, kachik, like that makes sense. But like, these like, I could have used some translator notes. I'm going to be honest here. I don't understand. <laughs> what these yes. like random like it's not even the sound of silence like that we've learned about here on manga explaining maybe we'll yeah. open this up on twitter or something and ask if anyone knows what the hell is supposed to be going on with these sound effects but yeah i did found it distracting and then i blocked it out but now that you've mentioned it i can't stop seeing them again i would like to see this adapted to i mean i wouldn't like to see it but if it were adapted <laughs> <laughs> it would have a very oppressive like audio atmosphere with all the noise mm. from outside from the cicadas and i think they're building that kind of atmosphere in the book just like yeah. having that always present mm-hmm. but because you know like i don't speak japanese very well it wasn't quite my bag i was going to ask is are there are there aspects of the story that are uniquely japanese that that it, this kind of type of story would not unfold this way and if it was an american mother and son the girlfriend showing up at the house with the love note I feel like it's yeah. a very Japanese thing, or at least Japanese like oh. romance story trope. Mm-hmm. The love confession is not something we really do in the same way in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Maybe in Canada, I don't know. No, no. <laughs> in Canada we travel kilometers across the snow in order to deliver our first love letter, <laughs> the rite of passage. Yeah, but I mean, he's a latchkey kid. You know, his dad is often working. His dad is in like four panels of the book. Now that I'm thinking about it, he's barely yeah. present. It all felt very familiar to me. Like, this is just young teen life, or maybe even preteen. I forget. He's 13. He's 13. 13, yeah. You know, he gets pants at one point. He has like a crush in the class that he's awkward talking to. Yeah. The swimsuits are a very not American thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was so happy when he like made fun of her, but she liked him too. And that was like actually cute. Like, I was really happy for him for a moment. That made yeah. it worse. That made it so much worse because yeah. I was like, I know where this is going. The writing is just top notch. I got to say it's not comfortable yeah. or not. It's definitely not going to be for everybody. Like, whoa. Like if you are, there's a number of people on social media who read, listen to every podcast and try to download every book. And it's like, please don't like, if this is sounding like something that you don't want to read, like don't read it. Yeah. And it's not even explicit yet. No. I mean, yeah. the most explicit thing happens, I think in volume two, you see a broken leg and then there's the kiss at the end, which is extremely like, 
gross, but not nude, I guess. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's safe for work, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in the most general, generous definition of the phrase. Please don't read this book at work. <laughs> no. I'm begging you, manga explaining listeners. <laughs> Don't listen to David Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the writing's super great. And I think that's what makes it so creepy. I mean, obviously that's what makes it so creepy, but you can believe in the characters. Like he's a very normal boy. You know, when he says like, don't talk about my mom that way. Like it's such like a normal reaction. Mm. And then for his mom to be, you know, corrupted or whatever, it just makes it even more of a tragedy, I think. Yeah. Mm. I'm just looking through some pages again and like at the end after, you know, he looks at the letter. Like she's all smiles too. That's the really creepy part. She's like super smiley. Yeah. Even with the girl there in the room and stuff. And then she hands him the letter, she's all smiles, and then you know, you see this the the teardrop and then the next page is her just like crying, and like, oh, this is where things just turn. That scene stressed me out. When she says, like, let's get rid of the letter, all of a sudden his mouth opens. And then his mouth is just wide open for like page after page after page mm-hmm. in, until he finally lets out like, just like, uh, 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 like just that feeling of just like, I, I scream, but I have no voice. Like, yeah. it's just, oh, it's a terrifying thing. I found this to be a lot scarier than Censor, the Jinji Ito book. Mm. Like, I've only read a couple of Jinji Ito books, but you kind of get the rhythm of it and then it kind of stops being scary once in a while. Like, Oh, what a creepy panel, yeah. what a creepy yeah. drawing and clearly a master of, of what he does. But this I found to be a lot more horrific, mm. but with more kind of interesting pacing to actually like make it feel more horrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The like decompression in comics was a, big buzzword i guess 10 years ago now i don't know if they care anymore (laughs) but this is like an example of what makes decompression good because like it takes her an entire page to open the letter and then an entire other page for her to read the letter and then like her like her gaze kind of softens as she reads and then she convinces him to read it and then that's like a whole other page and there's a full page for the letter like there's so much tension building here yeah yeah and I didn't see the crying coming. Like it's tension. And then there's also like, you honestly don't know where it's going to go, except that it's going to be bad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what makes it worse, right? Yeah. Like it's inevitable. You know, it's going to be worse, but you don't know how it's going to be worse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I apologize for the phrasing, but I feel like the son gets jokerized at the end when he smiles just like she does after they kiss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> jokerize is the correct way to put it, I think. Yikes. Like he just collapses. This was a really effective book, like Chris was saying. Also, though, I know I just know it's a weird thing because I'm looking at those last few pages too. It's like when they tear it up and they're like they're looking at each other and then the kiss happens. Mm-hmm. The two pieces of the letter that are still floating around say any and first. Wow. And just the idea that that's like his first kiss. Mm. It's just like just a whole other level of creepy. Yeah. Cause he's the one that's, he, he says like, don't leave me mommy. Like that's also kind of the, the pre jokerized mm. twist, mm-hmm. which is just him like losing it. The storytelling of them tearing up the letter and it kind of tearing him at the same time. 
It's one of those things like where you explain it, you're like, oh, well, that's an obvious metaphor, but it's done so well on the page. Yeah. I think because it's so direct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And any and first stick to their face. That is such yeah. a gross, like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is like a whole genre of book, like the, the young boy sexual politics thing. There's a Dinpa book that I like that I enjoy reading. We've got to find a better way to phrase this for uh, uncomfortable works. But it's called Pleasure and Corruption by oh. Yo Sobega. And it's very similar to this, except that it stars two high schoolers. And I think mm. the boy is stressed out from like interest exams coming up and other nonsense. So he takes to taking upskirt photos in public transit as stress relief and gets caught by a lady, a girl. And she's like, I won't tell if you let me tie you up like bondage style and the entire thing is sort of her pushing him into bdsm situations like in the back of the classroom in his you know bedroom at his home and being like you know if you tell like you know i'll show your photos blah 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 blah. but it hits a similar note as this i think pleasure and corruption is much more lurid would be the word Mm -hmm. i think like much more Mm -hmm. titillating than this while this is very unsettling yeah. But both are very creepy and kind of like exploring things that we usually don't think about. Hmm. Hmm. So do you think there's something very unique and different about Shuzo Oshimi's work that makes him, you know, kind of stand out as a comics creator? Or is this something that other creators do similarly? I think he's a great writer. Mm-hmm. Like the difference between this and Pleasure and Corruption would be like the subtlety. You know, and for a book where like a mom kisses a kid and pushes another kid off a cliff, like there's actually like a great deal of subtlety in here. <laughs> and it makes all the difference between it being like a book you read because like there might be a hint of nudity versus a book you read because you know it's gonna leave like a little like kernel of coal in your heart when you're done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Chip, was there any anything you you took away from this book and thought, wow, I I, I could do this in my work or oh no way I would ever do this. <laughs> I mean there's there's nothing here I could do. Like, I mean, I, I guess if I totally change the way I work, like, because really the, the, the standout thing for me is the pacing of it. And just like, again, mm-hmm. spending 12 pages on like a look or like a hand touch, which, yeah, you know, I, I've started drawing a new project and like, I keep thinking like, oh, I'm going to do something different, but I'm just doing the same kind of thing it's just because it's, it's what I know how to do. And the idea mm-hmm. of like telling a story super super slowly i just I, I don't have the ability to do it it's too late for me is what i'm saying <laughs> i see another season of manga explaining and we'll have you back on track yeah we'll have you decompressed exactly. for sure yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 fascinating and and I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes but it's not something i could ever replicate also it's not a subject matter that i'm interested in yeah yeah, I read a lot of horribly violent stuff, but mostly not intimately or emotionally violent like this. Yeah, you know, because this is like a very—is grounded the right word? Like you could see something like this happening in real life very easily. Yeah, like there's no oh, fantastical yeah. elements. There's no nothing is too out there, and that makes it a different kind of comic for me. Yeah, it's like if I'm reading something. I'm like, oh, I want to read something where like a bunch of people fight a monster and get like cut into pieces for whatever reason that's easy to find but it's not this like 
by any means. It's funny the things in society that we kind of we we feel like it's like kind of fun subject matter, yeah. even though it's not supposed to be fun. Like I, I was at a cottage this weekend, and a buddy of mine was talking about the idea of like writing like a like um dinner party murder mystery thing and we were just like there's no such thing as a dinner party violent assault mystery <laughs> you know yeah, like true like for some reason murder just is like fun for people mm-hmm. like i've known people to be murdered it's horrible but yet still it's like this thing in society that we're just like oh that's fun so like in comics like extreme violence is just considered like oh no it's fun it's just like you know it's not something that would happen in real life but something like this could happen even though it is kind of extreme and has happened yeah. and that makes it a, a ton more unsettling than the kind of like kickboxing stuff that we're usually into yeah i promise we'll get back to kickboxing <laughs> <laughs> this weekend i picked up a comic that i remembered not liking but i couldn't remember why i disliked it so i wanted to reread it and refresh myself <laughs> and I do this to myself all the time oh, and I got to the end because I was like, this sounds like something I should like. Maybe I just wasn't in a, I was depressed or something last time okay. I read it. And then I got to the end and I was like, Oh, this is why I didn't like it. And also somebody gets poked in the eye on the last page, like ah. on panel. <laughs> and I was like, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's another thing where at one point, like on screen eye pokes were forbidden in the comics. It was like too much. Up to the point where, like, there's one involved in the creation of Image Comics. Like, they wanted to stab Juggernaut in the eye in a Spider-Man comic. Marvel was oh, like, yeah. you can't do that. And Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld were like, okay, well, we're going to go do it somewhere else. I didn't know that was the reason why they left. <laughs> it wasn't the only reason, but it was one of the ones they talked about, like, not having control over their characters and that kind of thing. That's why Image starts with the letter I. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But over time, like the the window is shifted to where now on screen eye pokes are legal, you know. (laughs) They're legal. Yeah, legal holds. (laughs) I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit by maybe starting with Chris and asking, like, you kind of came into this kind of not too hot about reading it, but I wanted to get your final thoughts on what you thought of this book. It was exactly the kind of story I thought it was going to be, but it was better than I thought it was going to be. And I think that that's kind of awesome. I like being surprised by works like this. Really torn about whether or not I want to keep reading because I think, because I hope it gets better for the lead character. I know through being spoiled that there are, well, these are solicitation texts. He's, he begins to fight back and try to extricate himself from his mother mm-hmm. at some point in the future. And I think that that is what would give me hope to keep reading, because if it was just going to be about this, like, continuing, there's a reason that Girl on the Shore was only two volumes and then it ended. It's because you, if you're not prepared to, like, offer a solution, because life doesn't always have solutions, then, like, keeping it going for longer than two than a volume, like, on all done in one, is just sadism. Like, it's just about wallowing in this, like, very specific, very shitty kind of misery. And I don't think that that's what the intent is of this author from reading this book and from knowing where it goes in future volumes. So I think I would probably actually read onwards, but like, yeah, it's not, I'd have to psych myself up for it. You know what I mean? Like I'd have to be like, okay, let's go do a couple more volumes of girl on the short, but on the tracks. Okay, let's do this. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And then you just like, Oh, and you just feel terrible and whatever. But like, I I got a lot of books that I'm excited about reading that I know are going to be 
awesome <laughs> in my library. Well, it, so it, it's funny you said. In a mood. Yeah, you said earlier about how you know the older you get, the less you want to like read works that you know that could be upsetting and painful to mm-hmm. get through. But also, we're in a pandemic still. Yeah, and <laughs> the world is on fire, both literally and metaphorically. Like it's very hard to like. There's a reason Ted Lasso is doing quite well. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Read some happy books, watch some yeah. happy TV. Yeah, I hear you. But I, and I think you do have to like, I think you have to temper that. I think watching stuff with bad feelings in it, reading stuff with bad feelings in it is how you sort of deal with your own bad feelings. That's what fiction is, right? Like we try to learn about ourselves through, through things that other people have created. So I think it was probably good to read it, but it's just, it's hard yeah. to want to, you know, no, unless, it, you're in a, unless you're in a, in a place. No, I get it. Like after reading this, I realized like my mom shouldn't have pushed that kid off the cliff. <laughs> three this episode that we're gonna have to cut out no no it's good Good. would you recommend this to a certain type of reader i mean because it's obviously not for anybody but for people that like other works by this author please enjoy there's a there's a there's a youtube channel that does these that is doing a like retrospect of the 90s one year at a time wow and it's just like and then they did the they did the the 80s before their next one they're actually going to go back and do the 70s instead and there's just this like you're watching through and it sort of is interspersing clips and talking about them briefly and it's like s law and order svu <laughs> debuts and it was like 1999 and it shows a 10 second clip that is the most upsetting thing in the whole like 25 minute video because every episode of law and order svu is about some terrible sexually like explicit horrible thing happening to somebody and then people just like fucking digging into it for an hour and it's still on tv and people need that release so it's like yeah if you are the kind of person who like can't stop watching law and order svu because even though it's like my grandmother and whatever and you like that tension <laughs> your, grandma's, sorry, David. your grandma's amazing <laughs> my grandmother watched korean dramas till the day she died <laughs> sorry david we're we're mailing your grandmother blood on the tracks while you're one through five uh-huh. <laughs> with explicit instructions to read <laughs> from right to left pretty good uh yeah if you're, if you're that kind of person then like that that like that that isn't put off by that because they want that gripping story they want to feel that tension and then like hope that there's justice at the end although anyone who's watched law and order knows that it doesn't always roll that way i think uh yeah for sure but you got to know what you're getting into like to the point where i'm really thinking like is this a podcast even though i haven't sworn yet which i'm very proud of do we still have I, to mark the podcast explicit? <laughs> I, I, like I swore. Just the content. So yeah, I give it swear, time. I didn't even catch it. I didn't even hear it. Also, big ups to your grandmother for, for watching Law & Order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. So, like, we were talking about so, Law & Order FBU, but uh, are there other, like, American TV shows, books, movies that, you know, you would recommend to, like, it's similar to this book. Like, if you like this type of movie or, or TV show, you would like this book. I've got two. Oh, please really? go. Yeah. Uh, so one is David Lapham's Straight Bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all like this, but there are several story arcs where you're like, I don't know how these kids are going to get out of this. And yeah. it has that sort of creeping dread. But even more than that would be The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a, yeah. Oh, shit. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, the entire time I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, this is like a reverse Good Son. But then I was like, there's not like a right way for the Good Son to go. Mm. But it was the movie where Macaulay was a basically like a 
like a teen psychopath serial killer or something like that. And he meets his cousin and the cousin is confronted with, you know, Macaulay being evil. Also the cousin's Elijah Wood, mm. if I remember correctly. Oh yeah. yeah. It and it's wow. just this movie of like two boys. You would think it'd be like a fun summer, you know, out of school movie. And it's Macaulay killing people and throwing bricks off bridges and doing horrible things. Yeah. Up until like a very amazing ending, come to think about it. And I was 10 years old when this came out, maybe like nine or 10. So I went yeah. from home alone to this. And it was a lot, but I think that it really, it's similarly effective where you're like, oh, this is a good thing turned corrupted. Like the mother son relationship or, you know, a young boy, like exploring the woods Mm. is suddenly bad and evil because of the things that are going on. So if you like either one of those two, I think this would be right up your alley. Yeah, it's pretty good. Right Um, up your dark alley. Right up your dark alley. (laughs) 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 Title of your porn tape. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Any final thoughts on this one? It's really well done. I think Chris got it right with Law and Order SVU and David's grandmother. <laughs> I think I think I think that's that's the audience for it. It's funny. I'm, I'm watching Sopranos right now. I missed it the first time around, and like the main character Tony Soprano, like at some point his mom basically tries to orchestrate his murder. And I, I thought about that reading this. Wow. Oh, yeah. Man. It's just like mom's gone bad. Mom's gone bad. Yeah, mom's not wild. Bad. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a really interesting, different kind of mom's gone bad, right? It's not. It's not an obvious one, like like you know, like mommy dearest, where the mom is just psychotic, mm-hmm. yeah. or even like fatal attraction, where the woman is just you know insane, right? Yeah. Mm. This is a little more. It it's a little bit more of a slow burn. At the same time, it's it's. Well, I guess what I found compelling about this, like I read enough manga where you can almost see what's going to happen next, right? Like you, you, you know the story beats, you know what's kind of coming around the corner. This one surprised me a lot. There are a lot of Same. moments where I'm like, whoa, what happened, just happened here? Yeah, for mm. sure. I was talking out loud by the, when they were ripping up the letter. Like I was yeah. done by that point. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, if there was someone in the room with me, they would have been like, are you okay? Because like, my body was just like kind of like collapsing in on itself a little bit as I was reading it. Like, no, don't open that door. I See, that's fascinating, right? Because this manga, you cannot read passively. No. You're going to react. No. No. <laughs> and that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good discussion of Blood on the Tracks. And we are going to be right back after this hopefully lucrative commercial message. <laughs> lucrative for who? <laughs> <laughs> You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back. We are here with another Manga Explaining Listen to Me segment. We just finished talking about Blood on the Tracks by Shuzo Oshimi. And it occurred to me, while we can't probably get Shuzo Oshimi to explain himself to us or talk a little about his manga, I thought we'd get the next best thing. And that is Ed Chavez, publisher from Denpub Publishing. Hi, Ed. It's, it's good to see you. Yeah, likewise. It's, it's, it's been a while. Could you just introduce yourself for the listeners? As, as you guys kindly noted, I'm the uh, publisher and president of uh, Dempa Books. We're a small independent publisher based out of Portland, Oregon. I've been around since late 2018, focusing on a mix of modern pop with a tinge of some indie manga and a little bit of I wouldn't necessarily say like classical manga, but more critically acclaimed artists. So for example, we just released an anthology of cat comics from Moto Hagio uh, called Little Leo. We're, we're also going to be releasing like a, a mockumentary about Yoshiyuki Tomino, the, the original creator mm. of Mobile Suit Gundam. So works like that, yeah, mixed in with things like Invitation from a Crab or, or Maiden Railways. And then things that are a little more modern and, and, and contemporary that are kind of pushing the, the needle in Japan. Once again, with the focus on, on talent of artists that are, that are significant there. So, you know, Shuzu Ozime is a, is a great example of that. But, you know, we have artists like Nobuyuki Fukumoto, the creator of Kaiji, hmm. Shintaro Kago as well. Oshimi is why I wanted to reach out. I think why Deb especially wanted to reach out. It's because... Oshimi is a mm, mm. creator that has such a singular vision. And so Shuzo yeah. Oshimi's Flowers of Evil was their first work translated in English. And you acquired that during your time at Vertical. Yeah. And the big yeah. question that we both kind of had when we were talking about it is like, what did you see in this author's work that made you want to bring them mm. to English readers? Because it doesn't look like a, a, a home run. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't look yeah. like a grand slam. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's an interesting story behind that too because that was something that we picked up around the time that Attack on Titan was was published. They ran in the same magazine. Oh, really? Uh, in Japan? Wow. You know, when I read through Gekkan Shonen Magazine and saw Flowers, Oshimi's storytelling and the way he's able to show as well as tell just hit me so hard. It it, it just beat me up. I, I I really wanted to look into him more at that time, and what you know, contrasting that to, to Titan at the, at the at the same time, yeah, I, I thought that the storytelling was was compelling, but it didn't feel that the the artists had fully grasped you know what manga presenting and and like visually storytelling was at that time. Mm. Like he was more just putting things out and. He had a, he had a really good idea and he had a great like story concept, but just wasn't able to to present what he wanted, you know, 
clearly. Uh, on the flip side, Oshimi, very early on, and in, in particularly in Flowers of Evil, was already working with moments that you were looking and experiencing the the depression, the loneliness, the frustration, the the angst of the settings that he had, as well as of the youth that he was presenting in a story. Mm. So it was it was really visceral. And generally speaking, I tend to pick up manga that do a lot of that, that, that try to like not just give you walls and walls of text, you know, that actually allow the page as a whole to tell the story you know that includes the backgrounds and and even the paneling so if you ever get a chance to go through flowers evil again there's there's some really great spreads too like there's one where the two main characters have kind of come to terms with their feelings about about high school and and the little expert town that they live in they they know that they don't want to be there but they found Mm. each other and they literally destroy like their high their high school classroom There's there's ink and paper and and desks everywhere. Upon looking at that, you just feel like all of these emotions, and it's it doesn't necessarily like if if you look at it by itself, like it's it's striking. But the lead up and and how he presents like the panels and those pages and even like the close ups in people's faces. Like he is driving the the reader visually to like get really excited and and to you know associate with the passion that is that Oshimi is trying to mm. render uh, on those pages. Yeah, so it was it was it was a no brainer. <laughs> like I sh- I showed like the other editors at, at Vertical at the time, like the first two volumes of of Flowers. I think that that's all that was available, and they were like, "No, oh, this is this is." intense this is some of the closest visual manga king comic king we've seen since mm. since tezuka that's high praise dude for people who were working on that for a long time up up to like 2000 and i think that was like around mm. 2011 yeah wow. we really thought that way because vertical published a lot of tezukas and so that's where that yeah. that praise comes from because they knew that material intimately yeah. it's something that kind of gets lost for for some readers but in our case that's literally what 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 we want in comics we we want to become immersed in those feelings and oshimi i don't know this this might sound like hyperbole but i I feel that he's possibly one of like the top 10 artists in the last decade or so to to be able to like accomplish that on a regular basis and, and what's cool too is that like as he ends up cranking out new series i mean he's i think he's done like four or five since since flowers of evil he's he's come to really understand that yeah he doesn't necessarily need to rely on on dialogue as much anymore you go through happiness i'm mean, sure parts of, of blood and the tracks are like this as well but i think that's a little wordier but there are moments where you just see in blood like a mother's face and you're like yeah. you just stop right it's it's just like you you understand like her her frustration and her and her anger and and then oshimi will turn the like the perspective around and you'll see the child's face and, and, and how they're witnessing this. And 
very very few mangaka take the time to 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 present those the, those moments uh, like that. Like instead, they'll you know they'll write it out and they'll you know have exposition let let, let you know what's going on. But mm-hmm. Oshimi doesn't do that. Actually, Oshimi rarely relies on exposition mm-hmm. really. So yeah, that makes perfect sense actually when you say it that way because I do see. A lot of that personally, Deb. You've, you're a little more familiar with Oshimi's works. I actually want to ask both of you this: When you saw Flowers of Evil, when you licensed Flowers of Evil, did you ever think that like nearly all of his work would be in English someday? Like it seemed like such an offbeat <laughs> choice. Now, like Denpa's got Inside Mari. You're doing Devil Ecstasy. Yeah, I'm just licensing yeah. a bunch of them. Like, did you did you guys ever think when you picked up Flowers of Evil, you know, that this is this is going to be someone who's going to have all of their work translated in English, kind of like Junji Ito almost? Yes, actually. Ooh. I wouldn't say all of it. You know, I'll be I'll be frank. Devil's Ecstasy is a little is a little rough. That's not in English yet, right? Not yet. No, Kodacha is going to be releasing I that I think early next year. But like that was a, that was a series that was canceled in mm. Japan and. He didn't get, come back and finish that until he was <laughs> successful. Like I think it, I think he finished that like after Flowers of Evil was either about to end or had to just complete it. That's one of those situations where Kodansha was like, "Oh, hey, you know, let's let's have you wrap this up for for some closure. You're doing well." But very early on, I already knew I wanted to do Inside Mari, and we we were going back and forth about Mari internally. When I was at Vertical, we wanted to do an, another title that is yet to be announced by anybody, but I, 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 get, I have a feeling that <laughs> we'll get announced at some point. And then, yeah, upon me moving over to launch Dempa, what, was, was that our first acquisition? I want to say yeah. it was oh, either wow. number like one right or number away, two. It was something you went after. No, yeah, it was actually our first book that we, or first series that we released uh, was Inside Mari, Volume One. I knew right from the start that I wanted to do Oshimi, and I wanted to be able to get as much of that as possible. So, Blood on the Tracks was something that we also tried to get, but we were it was too late. Happiness was already being published mm. by Kodansha USA at the time. It was basically, you know, try to pick up whatever else we could from the publishers that we have greater access to uh, and and Futabasha then and stuff like that right? Futabasha, Shodansha, Oda yeah you also published some of the shorter stories like Waltz yeah yeah Waltz and Miss Kusada. she can't see her name yeah I thought it was interesting because like like Chris was saying that like you this is a this is a creator you've placed a lot of bets on yeah that kind of goes back to the ethos of, of, of Dempa in a way like we're mm. I get I get I get this question a lot from publishers in Japan. Like, what what genres are you guys interested in? And I basically that's not really our thing. We, <laughs> I don't I don't expect to be doing too many isekai. <laughs> but our, our our primary focus is really on authors or artists. Working with with an Oshimi, we want to try to get out as much Oshimi as possible. We want him to be within our umbrella. We want to hold him as tight as, as we can. Hmm. That I want to ask you too. Amazing. Yeah. Have you talked with him? Um, unfortunately, I haven't. I have talked to his editors in the past. And what was cool with those experiences, uh, it's, well, the two that I've met, Basically, they've been about like my age. I remember when actually I picked up or was negotiating Flowers of Evil for for Vertical. 
Kodachi introduced me to the editor of that when I was when I was over there. We immediately hit on a lot of the same points. Oh, great! And how we were reading that 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 manga, which was really interesting. I, I think I think that kind of goes back to one of the themes that I feel is very common in in Oshimi's work, and that's you know he's trying to express a lot of the frustration that youth have, and he he, he takes that topic and goes in different directions with it you know whether it's family or just kind of feeling lost in society or not having you know too many opportunities for the future or being a part of a young married couple like a lot of these topics are are things that i feel you know teens to like people in their 30s can really relate to and yeah we immediately clicked with with Oshimi which is really fun i, I think that I think that also kind of accelerated the interest within Kodacha themselves about like oh hey maybe we should start <laughs> pushing a little bit more of that too mm. yeah all you need is someone to get excited about it on this the side of the pacific and things can start to move a little bit more quickly that's cool yeah. Well, that answers all my questions, Deb. Did you have anything else you wanted to ask, Ed? No, I think that's perfect. I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time to yeah. talk about Shizu Asimi with us. Is there anything you'd like to add? Not, not much, but I, I think, and I hope you don't mind me like taking this time to kind of pimp one of our books, but I think for, for, for Oshimi fans, you know, his, his manga is, is great, and you know, they're, they're fun, and he covers a a pretty pretty good range of genres. He has a little bit of horror, a little bit of sci-fi, as well as his dramas. But I, I think something that an Oshimi fan needs to pick up is Femme Fatale, which is the art book that we released earlier this year. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. You know, Oshimi does a great job just framing moods, framing his feelings. And what was really funny is sharing that with like my staff here. Uh, they they've been up and down working with Oshimi. They've actually both of my production managers here have worked on Oshimi for uh, titles for ten years now. So <laughs> I, I, I can tell that, that, that they may be a little tired of of, of, of his stuff. But when they were looking at at Femme Fatale and just just looking at his his color work in particular, they. They come to appreciate the fact that yeah, I mean, not only is he a good artist, but they were like, yeah, there's no, there's no text on the majority of these pages, and they could immediately get what Oshimi was trying to put out. And I think that's something that's rare. And you know, combine that with obviously full color and a nice little package, I think fans would really, really get to know a little bit more about Oshimi in a in a, in a different type of context. And yeah, it's. Yeah, I think, I, th- I think that would be a very good experience for a lot of people. Well, we'll pop a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out. Well, I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Ed. This was really interesting. And thank you for taking the time. And thank you also for publishing so much of Chuzo Oshimi's work in English. Mm. It's very much appreciated. Well, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. All right. All right. Back, to, back to the rest of the show, I guess. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ed. <laughs> We are back. We will now open up our little Q&A bag. We got one from a reader, Stephen Recker, 
who commented on our blog. And he had a pretty, well, kind of straightforward question, but I, I wonder if it has a straightforward answer. He asks, are there any major manga published in color? I understand the industry is rooted in black and white magazine serialization and that a color section is occasionally used to introduce a new serial. But are there any manga published in color, either in first run or in reprinted trades? Is it simply a budgetary decision or is it more of a case of tradition? Is there any actual opposition to the idea of color manga? Anyway, you want to dig into this one, Chris? David? Yeah. Actually, I just just was thinking about it while you were reading the question. And it's interesting that maybe the most popular and best-selling color manga in English is actually was commissioned by a French publisher. And it's Rohan at the Louvre from Jojo's Bizarre Adventures. It's a spin-off one volume from this like Louvre special edition of like comic stuff. And he did this like full color manga that's like a side story from I think Jojo's Part Five. There's a bunch of manga part that have worked. Part four. Thank you. <laughs> Jojo's Bizarre Adventure editor David Brothers. <laughs> There's a bunch of manga in that line that are like, are they manga because they were commissioned in France first? Did they get simul published? Like, people get real hung up on what is or isn't manga. I don't really care anymore. But yeah, straight up, I think that the the French full color volumes are maybe some of the most interesting color manga. But short answer, like, no. Nah. Traditional manga publishers in Japan, like the economy, the economics of scale of publishing manga, of serializing and all that kind of stuff in a traditional manga don't make sense. So there's very, very, very few color projects out there and i i'm sure there's a list i'm sure there's a wikipedia sub page somewhere that lists all manga in color but i think the color manga that i see these days when i'm going through japanese bookstores and whatnot is absolutely web comics is people serializing comics uh digitally online sometimes just on twitter like posting pages on twitter you know through through app services and things like that my favorite my favorite that and again these will all never get translated because they First off, it's color. So North American publishers of manga don't have that economy to publish color manga. But Higesan and Marshmallow, and it's about a chubby dude with facial hair who likes marshmallows. And he works in an office and there's an OL, like an office lady there who's in love with him. But he's only in love with marshmallows. And it is the cutest manga. It was actually turned into an anime, like little 10-minute episodes or five-minute episodes that would run between other things. And you can watch it on Crunchyroll, uh, even though the manga will be translated. And it's just like the most basic dumb thing, but it's so cute and I love it. He gets on a marshmallow or mustache, Mr. Mustache and Marshmallow, whatever they translated the title to. But there's a lot of books like that. Things that were showed up on Pixiv as original comic serializations, things that showed up on Twitter, things that showed up on other websites. So yeah, if you're looking for traditional manga, there's just not a lot of color. But if you're looking for to expand your horizons about a little bit, I think that there's stuff out there for sure. But Deb, I mean, there's also like webtoons and things like that. You've done a lot of research on like the online manga sphere, not always public research on the online manga sphere, but like is color more of a go-to like in that space or like, is there still just a lot of black and white work there? Or? There's still a lot of black and white stuff. I mean, you know, like, like cell phone manga and stuff like that. There's still a lot of black mm-hmm. and white stuff because frankly, it's faster to draw, right? And it's, yeah. qu- it's quick and disposable and it also lends itself well to being printed later. But there are instances where there are manga that are published in black and white in a magazine, but then colored later, like Cheese Sweet Home. I was going to mention that as a counterpoint to Chris's point about Rohan being the bigger seller, I think. Oh, Cheese is a bigger seller for sure. Yeah, I think it's flipped and it's watercolor colored in. Yeah, it's interesting because it's 
technically colorized rather than colored. Like when it was serialized, it was black and white, Mm -hmm. but in the paperbacks, it's color, which is something I feel like also is rare. Dragon, mm. But then there's also the Dragon Ball color editions, right? Yeah, there are also digital JoJo's color editions. Mm. Maybe, mm. I don't and know. I think there's a color Spy Family version, too. Yeah, really? they're usually special oh. editions, I think. So basically, if it's a hit and it makes enough money to support a color edition, it might get a color edition. Mm. But it's interesting because it's not as much of a given. Like, it feels like... Chip, maybe you can answer this, but for American readers, is color a must-have? For American superhero comics. Yes, I mean, Walking Dead is the exception that proves the rule, I guess. Mm-hmm. But also, the, I, I think the costs are different here. Oh. Like, I, I remember in the past talking to printers about doing black and white comics, mm-hmm. and they were like, well, you might as well just do it in color. Like, the, the cost difference is so negligible because the printers are set up for that. Oh. Mm-hmm. Like, it's basically just running it through the same printer, and I guess it's using less ink, but I would imagine because of how popular manga is in Japan uh, and because of the, the Shonen Jump phone books that there are printers that probably just do black and white. So mm, true, to do a color, yeah. you'd have to go to another printer and it would cost you probably a lot more. So it, it's the same thing with like newsprint. Like if I wanted to do a black and white comic on newsprint, it would probably cost me more than doing a color one on just like the standard comic paper now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I, I think the, the economy of it makes a difference and also just the fact that like because companies like marvel and dc have just done color for so many years that's just what people expect so mm-hmm. doing a black and white comic would be like what black and white yeah. indie? what is this indie and they would just mm-hmm. ignore it really that's literally happening to dc comics right now their future state gotham book uh which is written and drawn by like three dudes that i know which is kind of weird but kind of cool <laughs> at the same time okay so it's like set in the near future Gotham City, Batman is dead. It's sort of like an event book that's an ongoing series, I think. And it's kind of interesting. It's cool. And it's all in black and white. And Giannis Milano, Giannis, who did like Old City Blues, and he did, I think, New Ultimates, Ultimate New Ultimates, one, one of the ultimate books. Yeah. Great artist. And it looks amazing. But I think because DC readers are so used to color, they're like, wait, why did they leave off a layer? Like, why does it look like this? Like, it feels like a mistake. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm over here, like, I want a hundred superhero comics like this. Like, it looks, it feels so weird and strange and compared to what I'm used to reading that it feels fresh, you know? Yeah. And the first issue had an Otomo backup in it. So I feel like there's nothing to complain about, but I'm horrifically biased. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, black and white is generally just looked at as such a different thing that they actually, like, do them as prestige books. Like, oh, yeah. I did a Batman black and white with, Nick Bradshaw because they brought that back and mm-hmm. that's just like oh even label it black and white like look at us look at what we're doing isn't it classy <laughs> for a change but yeah it's just not as much a thing here I love the trend of black and white and a third color that's oh been going God. on for like the past couple of years I know they just now it's like Electra black white and red or blood or whatever I'm just like oh. yeah <laughs> interesting yeah like God bless them they're my employer but this is a train that's going to run out of steam real soon it's cheating a little bit, but a it's cool. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say there was, there's probably another factor as, as far as like the manga in black and white is that mm-hmm. you'll notice that if you, if you take your average manga tankobon that's printed in black and white with some color, with a handful of color pages, and you hold a color book, the similar side in your hand, 
one will be remarkably much more heavy. Yeah. <laughs> because co- coated paper is heavier, and therefore, it costs you more to ship <laughs> a case of those yeah. books. A really good joke about that in Skeleton books, Bookstore sell, or bookstore Worker Honda-san. Yes, where it's yes. Like, They've got to work in the American comics in Japanese section for the day. And they're every time they oh, yeah. everything, they're like, oh, my God, it's so heavy. I can't even do this. It's really, really good. I'll pop that in the show notes. It's like yeah. such, a, such a funny panel. But yeah, absolutely. Like everything in Japan is on um, 99% of manga in Japan is printed in Japan. And yeah. that is not the case in North America. Like there are North American printers, but especially color books are printed overseas, India, Korea, Taiwan, China, Hong Kong, like they're like color books are more and more not single issue comics, which just because of the turnaround on them tend to be printed more domestically. We just don't have a domestic we printing industry. And so when we actually need it, like right now, when everyone's buying books like crazy, it doesn't exist anymore. And so that's why every manga that you love is out of print right now and is maybe coming by the end of next year. So it's it's a real there's yeah, you're getting into the ports the parts of comics which are like the that we don't really talk about, which is the number crunching behind the scenes, like, oh, how how is this going to work? Print scheduling, print brokering stuff, right? And yeah. it's, uh, the it's sausage hard to making. ramp all that, that business stuff up. Like, you think there's a chip shortage right now and you can't get a graphics card, like, try, try and get a copy of Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 1. Like, that's just as rare as a 3080. Sorry, that's a very targeted I honestly no. thought you meant Zadarsky for a second. I, I know. Like, Where's he going here. with this? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I thought you meant the Frito Lay strike. <laughs> no, I don't. Even oh, that's a, that was a problem too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The chips comment about like shipping jump and like there being facilities in place to make this happen and make it cheap made mm-hmm. me realize that there's probably printers that only do jump because mm-hmm. if they have a circulation of lowballing it at a million a week. That's an astronomical amount of paper. Yeah. Mm. And at, you know, 450 to 500 pages a week, it's even worse. I think I read that there's multiple printers that are doing, it's not centralized printing. Like you, if you're in Osaka and you get a copy of Jump, it was maybe printed closer to you. But if you're up in the north in like Aomori or something, you're just yeah. one of those printers. So not only is your book that popular, but it's it's the same book as being simultaneously printed all over the com- <laughs> all over the country just yeah. to try and get as many copies as you can into the hands of people that want them every week. Like that's crazy. That's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's awesome. Like awesome. I've only heard of that happening in North America, like once or twice where like initial orders were printed at a domestic printer because a book was so late. And then the rest, the bulk of the order was printed overseas so that by the time the reorders came up, there was already another <laughs> edition ready mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. Like there, because, but shipping takes like three to four months. But that's like jump. That's every week where it's being printed. I think four to six printers are printing jump simultaneously. So, and that's another one of those. This inside baseball thing you mentioned is another reason why it's hard to compare manga to superhero comics so directly, or shonen manga to superhero comics so directly. Because that's always the conversation online is like DC should just make shonen jump, but like there's not four printers in four locations across North America that could ship something like shonen jump for DC. You yeah, know, like lucky paper quality. Yeah. You know, the production requirements, you know, it's just a different, it's like comparing one kind of apple to another species of apple, unless apple is a species instead of a genius. I think it's apples and pears. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> they're similar, Women's but very and limes. 
but yeah, like there's because of how comics and manga evolved in Japan, like the industry, the infrastructure is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And it's very easy to get lost in the weeds. <laughs> I've always wanted to make like an amazing, like an inf- visual infographic that shows the mm-hmm. difference in scale between mm-hmm. manga and American comics. And somehow mm-hmm. I can never get the numbers to, to be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. But I promise it's astronomical. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the difference is astronomical. It would just make me sad. Please don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> if you've had work translated into Japanese, chip your grandfathered in. So it's all okay, good. all right, nice. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks a lot for another really great discussion. I hope that we've at least turned on some special people to this very special book. (laughs) And I I hope that this answered your question, Stephen. If anyone else has questions for Manga Spinning, please reach out to us because our mailbag could always use some great questions. That's it for now. And we'll be back next week. Thanks a lot. This has been Manga Splaining Season 2, Episode 6. Thank you for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Tokyo Tarareba Girls by Akiko Higashimura. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment for this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.